Welcome to the first full-length episode of Assessment Works, our new podcast through Alley. I'm Andre Foisy, and I'm the Executive Director of Institutional Outcomes Assessment at Excelsior College in Albany, New York. And I'm Erin Milne. I'm the Director of Assessment at the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, which we call MCLA, in North Adams, Massachusetts. So in this podcast, we'll be exploring all the ways assessment works in higher ed today and some of the ways that it doesn't. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Katherine Welberg, board member and former president of Alley, about how fear comes to play in assessment. We'll also be talking about Niloa's Curriculum Mapping Toolkit, the K. Patricia Cross Academy's Resource Library for Classroom Assessment Techniques, important upcoming events in the assessment world, and we'll be introducing a new segment starring you, our listeners. One thing we want to do in each episode is highlight one cool thing we've been thinking about in assessment lately. It might be a current debate that we find interesting, a technique we've learned, or a resource we found helpful and want to share with you. So Erin, what are you looking at this week? Well, I've been doing a lot of work getting ready to kind of lead a curriculum mapping retreat with my faculty at my institution next month. So I've been looking at curriculum mapping resources, and I found the Niloa Curriculum Mapping Toolkit, which I thought was really cool and useful, and I wanted to share it with the listeners. So What it basically is is a set of documents on the Niloa website. We'll link to all of it in the show notes. And it includes three documents. The first one is Niloa's kind of overview of curriculum mapping, which is called Mapping Learning, a Toolkit. And it's got an overview. It's got examples of what curriculum maps look like and a recommended process. And it talks about how to focus on curriculum mapping at program level for gen ed, for certificate programs, for co-curricular learning, and for high-impact practices. So it's just a really good overview of where to start when you're trying to do curriculum maps. They're also collecting institutional examples. um, And I know they're collecting more um, if any of the listeners have some good examples they want to share with Naloa. But the ones that are up there right now is the first one is is from the Oregon Institute of Technology and Cal State San Bernardino, which is kind of their resources from a curriculum map exercise they did for gen ed assessment, and it's all the stuff they used. It's their slides, it's their handouts, um, and they used a design thinking process to kind of guide their work in curriculum mapping for gen ed. So check that out. It's really useful if you're going to give your own workshop. And then the, the last thing up there is an example from Stockton University, of how they aligned their student learning outcomes across their campus. So they've got their own set of essential learning outcomes and it just kind of lays out the process that they used for aligning those with their gen ed program, with major programs, and with individual courses. And it's got some resources for language that they might want to use in their syllabus. So I'm writing up a little more about that in the show notes. Go ahead and check it out. How about you, Andre? What are you, what are you looking at this week? Great. So one thing I've been looking at is the K-Patricia Cross Academy, which is, I think, a fairly new website, and it's put together by a few assessment professionals. I believe they're educational psychologists. Uh, One of them is Claire Major, and it has a bunch of really nice resources for classroom assessment techniques. The website is sortable. You can sort by the different cognitive level that you're trying to get at in your 
um, classroom assessment techniques, and you're all, there are also some other ways to sort. But one assignment that I've used in my own class is the digital storytelling assignment, and it's just been a really nice resource. I've been getting some really inspiring assignments, better assignments for my students through this strategy than uh, through some other strategies that I've I've used in the past, and they're just short videos. Uh, they're very user-friendly. I've shared them with faculty members so far, and they're also downloadable resources. So they help you use these uh, in very practical ways. So you can figure out easily how you can use an assignment for um, assessing students in your classroom, but also collect data at the institutional level. So that's one thing I recommend checking out, and we'll include a link in the show notes. During every episode of Assessment Works, we'll be bringing you an interview with an assessment professional. We want to give a broader idea of what kinds of things work in assessment. Today we're happy to have Dr. Katherine Welberg to talk about the role fear can play when we're doing the work of assessment. Welcome, Katherine. Katherine Welberg is the Dean of Mathematics, Sciences, and Education at Marymount University. She's also a former president of ALLE, A-L-H-E. And from my experience with her, she's just a very pleasant person to be around and generally all around very helpful. So thank you for talking with us today. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on, Catherine. For the listeners, Catherine recently led a webinar for Ali called Fearing to Fail, How Common Assessment Practices Cause Stagnation. Uh, so we wanted to talk to her a little bit about how fear comes into play in our work in assessment and some ways we can kind of move forward in the face of fear. Well, thank you. I am very glad to be here on this inaugural episode of the podcast. So thank you for thinking of me. So the first question, so how did you get into the field of assessment? So like a lot of people, I kind of fell into it accidentally. I was a faculty member, a new faculty member at Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, and we were getting ready for our reaffirmation visit. I'm an educational psychologist by, by training. So writing learning outcomes was kind of what we did in grad school for fun, which tells you something about the fun I had in grad school, and there you go, but, uh-huh. um, kind of fun. so yeah, <laughs> 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 it's a party, so let's make learning outcomes, and that would be fun, and, and we thought it was, but anyway, so I went to um, the dean of faculty and said, you know, we're making this far more complicated than it needs to be, and surprisingly enough, she put me on the committee, and I ended up editing our accreditation self-study, and got into accreditation through that end of it. And then I kind of never left assessment. <laughs> About how long have you been working in the assessment field? Gosh, that would have been for like 30 years. Oh, wow. All right. Ish. So we're bringing a lot of experience and wisdom to the podcast today. <laughs> it's like a really big number when I say that out loud, though. <laughs> kind of shocking. <laughs> So, Catherine, we're going to talk today about um, fear and failure, kind of based on the webinar that you gave a couple of months ago. What do fear and failure mean to you, just kind of like in general and also as it pertains to assessment? So, for me, learning is all about failure, and failure tells us what we still need to learn, because if we can do everything perfectly, then there's no learning that needs to happen. When I look at developmental psychology, when a child is learning how to walk, they don't just hop up one day and walk, nor do they fall down once and go, I'm done, that's it, you know, didn't work, can't do it, because it's, it's a process, and every time we do something, we learn something about that, and, and so when I look at assessments and, and higher ed in general, 
you know, so many of our students in our classes don't want to fail anything. Um, they want to get everything right. And they're sometimes afraid of trying something because they might get it wrong. Um, and they don't want to look bad. And so they avoid new experiences so that they can always be successful, which means they don't grow as much as they, as they could. And then in the assessment world, we do exactly the same thing. If we're only measuring things we know we're going to be really good at, and, and we're going to get data that we like, then we're not really informing ourselves about what needs to be modified or changed. And do you think as assessment professionals and faculty members who are doing assessment and student affairs professionals, everybody doing assessment, do you think we're kind of holding on to that idea from when we ourselves were students? I, I feel like a lot of us spent a lot of time in school right, to get to where we are. Well, sure, absolutely, when, from when we were students, but also when I look at, um, at, at the academic structures that most of us put in place. How do you get a grant? Well, you, you show how wonderful you are. You show how great you are. How do you get your manuscript submitted? Well, you, you, you get findings that actually work. You know, you, nobody wants to publish, oh, well, that didn't work. Nobody wants to, to, to publish that. So, so we are focused on looking good and not failing. And, and if we do fail, we hide it because we don't want to share that with others. And so it, it can be humiliating and embarrassing. And so when I look at my, um, my, my department, if they get bad assessment data, they often don't want to report that. They want to only report the good things. What I want them to do is go, now we know what to look for. Now we know where to kind of tighten up some of the curriculum or some of the methodologies or some of the assessment instruments that we're using or, or whatever. So I think, I think that we do it not just because we remember it from when we were in school, even though that's a big part of it, um, but I think that's just something that, that, that we tend to do because failure is seen as embarrassing. Do you have any suggestions for how people who are involved in assessment can kind of push past their fear of failure? Maybe like rebranding or something like that? So I think, I think that rebranding is a, it may be an important piece to either ask for it and celebrate it or recast the word in something else, in some other way to look for what are your opportunities for growth? And it, what it, we don't say weaknesses anymore. We say opportunities for growth. You know, so I think there's some rebranding that we, we can do with that. But I think that one of the most important things we need to do is to reward situations where failure happens and is then used to improve things. So if I have additional budget funding, I want to give it not just to the department that is doing a great job, to reward them for doing a great job. I want to give it to a department that may be struggling in a particular area or needs a something or other in order to do a better job. And, the, and if they have a plan to do it, then I want to be able to put that funding there because I know that is going to take us from one, one level of accomplishment to the next. If all I'm doing is rewarding departments for doing a great job, then nobody's going to want to change. So is it a bit about rewarding kind of the action plan and the identified steps rather yeah. than rewarding the uh, kind of raw level results? Exactly. And so when I was doing assessment um, as a, an assessment director, I would try to start my conversations with, with departments off in that way. Not tell me your outcomes and, and how, how are you doing, but tell me what your action plan is. Tell me what you want to do differently next year mm -hmm. so that we could focus on those things and not on the things that they were doing well, and even though those were still really important and they were certainly part of the, the, the conversation. 
yeah, tell me what isn't working. I think that's a great question. I think I'll be taking that back with me. When you develop that trust with a department or with a faculty member, they'll tell you what isn't working, even if it's not showing up in their written report or the documentation. Mm -hmm. And then that opens up the opportunity for having those conversations so that you can still be using assessment data to make changes and improvements and, and encouraging them to go ahead and add that to the action plan part of, of the report so that it does make it into the documentation at some point in time. How do you reframe faculty to get them to ask the questions that really tell them something that they wanna know? Figuring out what you're, you might have data on, it might say, uh, it might say that you're doing well, but maybe that that's a really low level outcome and it's not appropriate. And some of that is just by asking more questions to them. I've asked yeah. questions like, so in your students this year, what's surprising about them? Or mm -hmm. if there's a, a, a senior capstone class, how did it go? What do you wish you'd seen more of? What seemed to be missing? What would you have wished that you, you might have seen more? And I think sometimes also including data in student responses, which aren't necessarily direct measures of learning, but that qualitative piece can sometimes provide feedback to faculty, providing some of that student feedback, which could come from alumni surveys, it could come from course evaluations even, mm -hmm. um, it could come from um, you know, senior um, you know, exit interviews or, or whatever, where students are saying, you know, here's, what I didn't like as much. And then having faculty kind of kind of think about that. It doesn't mean that everything that the student says is always completely accurate and across the board, yeah. but it provides a jumping off place to have that discussion. Mm -hmm. And it can help kind of triangulate data that you get in more direct measures also. Mm -hmm. And it allows for the discussion to happen where I don't expect things to be perfect. I don't expect every student to be thrilled and happy and love the food and the parking and the, you know, graduate in four years and never veer off the, the, the path. Yeah. Um, it builds that ability to have these ongoing conversations. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the difference between the mindset of assessment for accountability and the mindset of assessment for transformation? So a lot of times in, in higher ed, especially administrators, have this mindset of accountability. We are doing assessment because it's required by our accreditor. Mm -hmm. And so the whole focus of what I did to the administration was keep us out of trouble. And that's, and that's great. That's not, a, that's not a bad thing. But it doesn't allow for that growth, and it doesn't allow for the, that, that transformation process. And so when I would work with faculty, I want them to think about what else is there? You know, what kind of growth can we look for? What sorts of things aren't going the way you want them to go? And how can we support that? What would it look like if we could offer students a dedicated lab where they can do SPSS, you know, at two o'clock in the morning if they wanted to? What would that, how would that change things? Yeah. Then we start getting into the, the, the transformation piece where faculty stop looking at it as something they have to do or else they're going to get in trouble or something that they're doing because somebody else told them to. Now they're looking at it more of, wow, this is what I, I dream for my students. This is what I dream for my department. This is how I want us to be. And that completely changes the conversation. And I think those of us in the assessment field 
really always have to have a foot in both camps because we've got to keep looking at the accountability piece because often that's why we have the jobs that we have. But if we only look at that, then we miss the whole big piece of why assessment mm -hmm. is so powerful. And it's because it can allow us to change and enhance and, and transform what we're doing. I saw a session a while ago, I think it was by Natasha Jankowski of Naloa, mm -hmm. and uh, to paraphrase what she said, if you are really faithful in your work of viewing assessment for learning and assessment for improvement, um, then the accountability stuff will really take care of itself as long as you know you keep good records and are able to tell your story and demonstrate it for the accreditors. Um, and I thought that was a really wise piece of advice, like just to keep in mind that these things aren't necessarily at odds with each other, but they really complement each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will often say that to faculty, don't worry about the accreditation piece. I will make sure that I can translate what you're doing into words that the accreditor will understand and be looking for. Right. So can assessment lead to improvements if we don't embrace failure? No, I don't think. I mean, philosophically, the answer is no, I think, because if we never fail, then we never have to change anything. You know, if, if, if all we do is try the same things that we've always done, you get no growth. I would make an argument that higher ed is very averse to change overall in the institution. Really? Yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> so, so... So, so great. I present great assessment results all the time. That means that I don't have to change. So that's exactly what some people want. So how do you, how do you go about changing that mindset, really? Well, some of the things that I have done is try to reward some of those departments that are doing a great job and may not have to change anything because they are truly doing a fantastic job. You know, they're, they're, they're getting very high rates of passing on their licensure exams. But what else is happening? What else is going on? So asking them to develop, um, you know, sometimes project-based ideas. What would happen if? Um, ha here's something another institution is doing. Or you get new faculty that come in that have a slightly different research interest. What, is, what does that look like? So that it's not always just about the assessment report. It's about knowing what our students are learning and aligning that with what they're going to need when they when they leave our programs and our institutions. Okay. I want to talk about a new article that you have out. Um, it's called Assessment for Student Learning in the Public Good, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes so people can check it out. Um, but I wanted to read just one quick excerpt from it um, in which you and your co-authors write, assessment for learning at the program and institutional levels can make some faculty uncomfortable and be a source of frustration and fear because it asks individual faculty members not only to consider alignment of content and curricular sequencing, but to think beyond their own courses and their own students. Um, so I wanted to ask, how can we support the people doing this work in moving towards assessment for learning and kind of, as you're, as, as you're saying in this article, move outside of their own narrow points of view and kind of view the student as a whole or the institution as a whole? And I think one of the things that, that we all run into, and, and I think the bigger a program is, um, the more faculty in a program, the more complicated this can be, um, is that often we get the feeling that this is my course, and that's your course, and that's your course, and I don't tell you what to do with your course, and you don't tell me what to do with my course. Um, and we rarely stop to think and say things like, how are these connected? How 
can we, um, you know, have these expectations for what students are learning and, and, and growing and, and, and making sure that it really is a program of study, not a series of disjointed courses. To get and, and talk about capstone projects or senior courses uh, where, where they, can, they can see kind of the breadth that the student has learned. And that's a little bit more difficult. And I think that's something where if you've got a really good department chair who's able to really talk about the program as a program, um, that makes it wonderful for new faculty coming into the program. If you've got adjunct faculty, they often are just teaching a course and they're not engaged in that, that discussion yeah. that's, that's much, more, much more broad. Most times when I do some kind of work with uh, people who want to do assessment at my institution, I usually start with a, you know, why do we do assessment? And one of the points that I, I like to bring up is that it really can enhance collegiality, um, which is one of my favorite things about the field, right? The process of um, creating student learning outcomes and really focusing on our own priorities for our students and having this shared language around what that looks like. Um, really opens up the door for people to have these really deep conversations about student learning. So that, that's, that's one of my favorite parts of my job is kind of enabling that mm -hmm. and, and facilitating it for people who are doing the work. And, and for faculty who have been there a long time, um, some, of, some of it, they may not recognize the contributions that, that, that newer faculty may have added. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that can be really a, 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 a regenerating conversation of that so that they're still learning and they're still growing um, and they're and, and that helps them be better mentors to faculty and to students. So what is your favorite thing that you're working on right now Catherine? Gosh there are so many things well one thing that is that we're, we're working on right now is um, some um, public-private partnerships with with some of our departments. Um, where um, departments are finding community organizations um, and agencies, and we're, we're trying to do a better job of partnering with them, which is really benefiting um, internships, student uh, service that they're doing in the community. Plus, of course, it also helps students understand the field better, and many of them, we hope, are, are hired into uh, the same organizations or very similar organizations um, like that. So. So these, these development of this public-private um, partnership has been um, really exciting. So I'm now at Marymount University, which is in the Arlington, Virginia area. So we've got Washington, D.C., we've got Arlington, Virginia. We have got all kinds of absolutely fantastic um, community organizations and governmental organizations that we can, we can, we can work with. And of course, there's a huge assessment piece to that. Um, you know, what our students, we have to identify what do we want students to get out of this? What do we want the community agency to get out of this? Does that help support the learning outcomes of the program? Uh, do we need to add more learning outcomes to the program now that they're, they're doing some of these kinds of things? Mm -hmm. So that's been really fun to, um, to work with um, the different departments as they, as they seek out some of these, these different organizations. And so it's meant I've, got to, I've, I've gotten an opportunity to learn all kinds of things and meet all kinds of people. Um, in different areas and different fields. So, so that's been a fun piece. Well, we wanted to thank you for being our first interviewee today um, and for appearing on our first full-length episode of the podcast. I really appreciated having the chat with you. It was fun. Yeah, it's always good to connect with you, Catherine. Well, um, I have enjoyed this very much. <laughs>
Thank you. Where can our listeners connect with you if they wanted to get in touch? So one of the best ways is, is emailing me, which is cwehl at marymount.edu. And then, of course, come to the annual AALHE conference and connect with me and all kinds of other um, wonderful assessment folks from across the country and, and internationally. So we'll put all your contact information in the show notes. And thanks again. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Now we'll talk about some upcoming assessment conferences and events that you should be aware of if you're in the assessment world. So mark your calendars. Mark your calendars. April 29th to May 4th is the Evaluators Institute in Chicago, Illinois. May 6th is the deadline for the NALOA Excellence and Assessment designation. This is a kind of a way that you can have your institution recognized for the great work and assessment that you do. We'll link in the show notes to how you can apply for that. There's the also the Higher Ed Assessment Conference at NEC in Henniker, New Hampshire. That's May 14th and 15th, and it looks like NILOA Director Natasha Jankowski will be giving the keynote. May 28th through 31st in Denver, Colorado, the 2019 Air Forum. That's the Association for Institutional Research National Conference. And drumroll, June 10th to the 13th. That's the ALLE Conference, the AALHE Annual Conference. I'm doing my best to rebrand it so that we can more easily talk about the name of the organization, ALLE, that will be in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'll be there. And I will be there too. So if you want to meet your podcast hosts in person, St. Paul is a great place to do that. We'll be introducing a new segment in future episodes, and we'd like it to feature you, our listeners. So we'd like to feature a little montage from you about your stories using assessment in higher ed. And I want to give a shout out here to the podcast where I got the inspiration for this idea from. There's a great news podcast through NPR called It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. And what he does is he has all of his listeners call in and say the best thing that happened to them this week. And it's just always a great segment. And I wanted to kind of use that as inspiration and bring it into the assessment world. So what we'd like you to do is share not the best thing that happened to you this week, but um, success stories and anecdotes and really good things you want to celebrate that's going on in your corner of the assessment world. And even things that maybe didn't go the way that you wanted them to go, but you'd like to kind of share your lessons learned from your experience. Your audio might be featured in an episode, which could be really exciting for you. It'll be exciting for us. And email audio to podcast at ally.org. And that's podcast at a-A-L-H-E dot O-R-G. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling the number 302-8-ASSESS, which is 302-827-7377. And we're going to leave all the contact information and also some tips for how to make a great submission in our show notes so you can get that information. And we'd love to hear stories from you. Listen here next time for your stories and questions. Thank you for joining us today for our first full-length episode of Assessment Works, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.